This morning's sermon is taken from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, to chapter 6, verse 3. As you turn there, let me remind you that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God written, the infallible rule of faith and practice that is not man's reflections about God, but is God's revelation to us. Hear now the word of the Lord. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pause a moment just to be thankful that you have given us your word, that we can know you through your word. Father, that there is so much that we need to know, so much more to learn. Father, we ask that you would guide us this day, that your word might touch our hearts, that we might see more clearly, that we might hear with understanding. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know, growing in the Lord is, uh, is never done. And um, I, I think that we can even make an argument that it will extend for all of eternity. That it's not just when we go to heaven we will know all the answers, but we'll spend all of eternity continuing to plumb the depths of God's immeasurable love for the saints and for His grace and His majesty. And his wisdom, the fact that he is immortal, the, ma- the fact that he is God, and the amazing fact that he loves people like you and me. I would imagine as you look back over your lives um, that you can peg certain men or women that have played a-, a key role in your discipleship, in your Christian growth. Uh, perhaps you can think of a Sunday school teacher like Margaret Hawk, I've heard her names many times. Her name many times of, of how you know the word of God because Margaret Hawk. Um, I think of uh, Bill and Candy Debose at Trinity Church with Annie Rush in the fifth grade and then Roland Hester in the sixth. Or maybe you can think of somebody outside your family, a, a mentor perhaps who walked alongside you, maybe at work, who happened to be a believer and, and just shared life with you or Perhaps someone in the church. I think of Ed Patterson and John Weiss. John Weiss taught me how to pray. Or maybe a minister. 
along the way, a special minister. Perhaps you had a, you know, we're blessed at different seasons of our lives to have a, con- a special connection with a minister or two. And I think of Jim Baird and Rob Oates and John Matthew, many of whom you mention often. I think of Claude McRoberts and Alan Carter and Marshall Brown. The Lord used these men in my life to draw me closer to the Lord. And, and my prayer is that there will be more men like them in my future that will walk alongside with me and continue to spur me on to love Jesus all the more. The people that I've mentioned and perhaps you have brought to mind are actually rather diverse. Some may be um, wealthy, some may be poor, some may be old, some may be young, women or, or men. Um, some might even be from up north and some might be from the south. But do you know what they all have in common? It is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. And that's sort of like to talk about today as we, next week we'll be heading into Philippians and starting our series there. But, but today I want to I issue a call for spiritual maturity. See, along the way, each one of these men and women whom you've thought of or I've mentioned took responsibility for their walk with the Lord Jesus. At some point, by the Holy Spirit stirring in them, they began to spend time with God on a daily basis. They began to pursue God, not in a peripheral manner, but in a concentrated, concerted, intentional way. By the time these men and women had begun to to pour into my life and yours, they had been through the ringer time and time again, and yet they'd seen the Lord provide every step of the way. They knew what it was like to walk with the Lord through the good times and the bad. They, They knew what it was like to have to depend on Him for wisdom, and they knew what His Word said. And they knew how to pray because they prayed without ceasing. My challenge this morning is this question. Have you taken responsibility for your spiritual walk? Many of you have. I know you have. I see it in your lives. I see the maturity at which you meet trials. I see your deep love for the Lord and others. But my question for all of us, whatever stage we're in, have we and do we continue to take responsibility to walk with the Lord? Because this is how it works. God grows us from infants in Christ. And he matures us as we walk alongside with him year after year to grow us more and more in his grace. So let's not be fooled here. It is, it is our God who grows us. We may be faithful to come to the word in prayer. We may be faithful to seek him, but any growth comes from the Lord. But we know that, that God is there for those who seek him. Are you seeking the Lord on a daily basis? Are you, are you taking responsibility for your spiritual maturity? The text we're looking at today is a, um, it's a difficult one. Because the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews, we don't really know who they are, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Um, they had um, grown dull of hearing. They started out well. They had known, the, they knew the Lord. These are believers that, to whom the writer is writing. But somewhere along the way, they, they began to drift. And they began to not take their walk with the Lord very seriously. And it had come to the point where it was very obvious. They had not taken responsibility for, the, with their, for their walk with the Lord. They had not pursued Him. And so we read in verse 11 these very um, jarring words. 
It must have been very jarring for the, the, the recipients of this letter to, to hear this read. About this we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. If you've read the, the letter to the Hebrews, and I commend it to you, just an amazing epistle. It is a very deep epistle. It's a theologically very rich epistle. In midstream, the author stops himself because he realizes he's over their heads. He's been talking about Christ as our priest after the order of Melchizedek and, and, and just the amazing impact this means for our relation to him and, and Christ's role as priest for us and how he's far superior to the other priests of the Old Testament, how he's of a new line and a new order and he'll pick up the vein later. But he has to stop himself and he says, you know what, I've got a lot to say about this, but I can't go on here because you've grown dull of hearing. Like a teacher, we have many teachers in our, in our congregation. I did an informal count, and I think it's 34 current or past teachers in our congregation. That's a lot. Do you remember the, the glaze that would go over your, your students' eyes when they had no clue what you're talking about? I think of my physics professor in, in uh, college. For some reason, I thought physics would be an easy way to get through my science requirement. That was rather silly, wasn't it? And uh, and some reason they gave the uh, the class to the department chair, and he would begin to talk about you know these these fantastic um, theories and principles of physics, and we would have no clue what he was talking about. Well, that's what's going on here. the The writer can feel it. I've lost them. Why? Because they've grown dull of hearing the. The, uh, the NIV says, slow to learn. The new NIV, uh, or the, the current NIV, if, you, if, you're in, if you're looking at that in our pews, it's the 84 version, it says, slow to learn. If you've bought one recently, your version says, you no longer try to understand. I think that's a stretch from the Greek, but it does really get at the force of what the writer's saying. You no longer try to understand. Heaven forbid that ever be said of me that I would no longer try to understand. See, the word dull here, to be dull of hearing, it means to be lazy or sluggish. There's a, a text later that appears in Greek, and, it, and it's referring to a, a lazy repairman. I think we've all dealt with those. Um, sluggishness is not a quality that is helpful in any discipline or pursuit. When a wide receiver makes a fantastic catch and to end the second overtime and to win it for your team, do you think it's because he's been sluggish over the last six months of practice? A world-renowned cellist does not skyrocket to the top because he is sluggish. You can always tell the worth of a carpenter by his hands because he has not been sluggish. How about my heart? How about my soul? Am I dull of hearing? Am I sluggish when it comes to my walk with the Lord? There's always room for improvement and it's not a guilt trip. That's not my desire this morning. But it is a call to, for us to take responsibility for our walks with the Lord. Well, there are a lot of reasons that can cause us to be sluggish or dull of hearing. Perhaps persistent or unrepentant sin can make a person hard of hearing. Forsaking the gathering of believers, and yet you know, when you don't come to church, it's hard to interact with the word, isn't it? Have you ever experienced that? 
when you're out of church for several weeks, even if you're just gone for a few weeks of vacation, it's hard to get back in the swing of it. Perhaps the distractions of the world have caught our ear more so than the word of God. Well, the thing is that there's, there is an effect. There's a consequence. So see this in this text. Of when we grow dull of hearing, whether it be a season in our life or we are wandering away from the Lord or, or perhaps it is the defining characteristic of our lives, there is an effect. And, and it's not just a private thing. We talk about our private life with the Lord and we are to have a private life with the Lord. We're supposed to have it with our family also. Men, we're to lead our, our families, our wives well in the Word and then in corporate worship as well. Um, but it has a, a, a public effect and we see that in verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. These are stinging words. This is is not an exhortation. This is a rebuke from this writer. He is saying to the recipients of his letter, look, you've been believers long enough that you're supposed to be teaching other, people's, other people at this point. But I've got to scramble to find someone to send to you to teach you the basics of what you were supposed to have already known. One commentator put it this way. He said, the Christian church must grow in order to exist. Those who have heard the gospel and have accepted it in faith are required to share their knowledge with others who need instruction. Who taught you? Who taught you? So I think about my parents, my, my father, my mother. I speak of them often because they're just such godly folks. Even this weekend, we were with them for a couple days. My mother, who's technologically challenged, came and wanted me to download a, a book on her Kindle. And, uh, and it wasn't a novel. It was a commentary. She'd been reading her Bible on vacation and didn't understand something. So she had downloaded a commentary and couldn't figure out how to get to it. You know, she's not sluggish in pursuing the Lord. And it ties right into our, our vision statement of this church, right? To, to know Christ and to make him known. And the vision is to equip you to equip others. That as we are equipped, we go and equip others. But the thing is, we have to first be equipped. Am I equipping myself daily? Am I seeking the means of equipping it as a Lord who provides all the growth? Am I making my, availing myself of the ways that he grows me? The means of grace, the, the word, the sacraments, the prayer uh, and prayer. You know, the problem with these recipients is they weren't interested in growing. They weren't interested in growing. Verse 13, in fact, calls them children, or the King James, I like it here, says babe. The first Corinthians one three, or excuse me, first Corinthians three says the same thing. Paul is referring to the Corinthians and says, Look, I'm addressing you as babes, as children, because of the divisions that are amongst you. God calls each and every one of us to be teachers. Did you know that? You're called to be a teacher. Now, the, the, the Greek word here for teacher is, is not uh, a formal setting. This is an informal setting. That as the Lord teaches us even just a nugget, just even a small thing, one thing to latch on to in a week, he gives those things to us not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And as we are diligently seeking him, he will give us um, understanding. He will give us a zeal for him. He will give us a love for him and for others that we are in turn to share with others. I remember um, there's this house in Montgomery 
It's in a really nice subdivision. It was on top of the hill as you come into the subdivision. And, uh, and for the longest time, they worked on the foundation. I mean, it seemed like years. They were doing one of these geothermal heating things. The problem is that the water table was far too high. And so they spent like a year or two trying to figure this thing out. And finally, they got the foundation done. But do you know what happened when they got done with the foundation? They quit. They ran out of money. And so finally, they scrambled enough money up to, to put the frame on. And they bought this organic wood. All wood's organic. I don't know what this stuff is. It's some, you know, uh, special frou-frou wood that uh, costs 10 times as much as normal wood, I'm sure. And they, they put it on the frame, and it, it was this gorgeous, huge house. But they never put the walls on. And so after two years of the frame being out in the elements, they had to tear it down because the wood had, 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 gone, had gotten rotten. The house was technically a house, right? I mean, if you, if you look to the architectural plans, this is a house. But it was not good for anything. It wasn't good for the purpose for which it was constructed. The Lord has called us to conversion, to grow us in Him, and therefore to pour into others that they in turn might know the Lord and know him more deeply. But the house has to be built first. So I ask you, have you taken responsibility for your walk with the Lord? Let's not short circuit the process of growth. It's a daily plodding along. Daily learning more and more about the Lord. You know, every once in a while the Lord gives us one of those mountaintop experiences as we pursue him in the word. But let me tell you, that's not an everyday thing. In fact, you may have seasons where that's, you don't even know that. But the Lord, for the daily plodding along in prayer and word of, of living with him and in his power, we find as we look back years later and we marvel and we praise the Lord for what he's done in our lives. See, the problem is here that, that they had not moved past milk. We see this in 1 Peter 2, 2. Likewise, newborn, in, excuse me, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Babes are supposed to drink milk. It's nourishing. It has all the, um, you know, all the things are supposed to have been there to, to make you grow, all the vitamins and antibodies and whatever it is. You're supposed to have those things at that crucial time. But a, a child who doesn't grow... Um, it's it's a problematic situation, isn't it? We're called to grow. We're called to go on from drinking milk and go on to eating solid food. And so he calls them in verses one through two of chapter six, he calls them to go on to maturity and to set aside these elementary principles of Christ. That does not mean that we ever move past the gospel. That does not mean we ever move past the love of God. It does mean that as we learn those things, we learn them more deeply as we see them in other aspects of the word of God and of other doctrines and other things that we explore with him, that we are to remember our faith and repentance from dead works according to verse one. And we are to understand as hot topics of those days, apparently, ritual washings. They were coming out of Judaism. So they had to know, okay, what do we do now? And the laying of hands, what does that mean in our context? And, and, and um, the judgment, uh, the eternal judgment and, and the resurrection of the dead, these are things that are mentioned in verses one through two as the elementary things that they are to move beyond. So he calls them to move from, from, from milk to meat. 
On Thursday mornings downstairs uh, in our fellowship hall at 6 a.m., I invite you to come to it. Um, men, we have a men's interdenominational Bible study, and it's a, it's a great time of fellowship, and, and we spend a whole hour just working straight through the Word, and we pick up next week where we left off the last. Um, and there's this one gentleman who has this illustration that just has always stuck with me. And he said, you know, if you have a newborn infant, and say he's 10 months old, and, and you bring someone uh, over to see your, your new child, and there he is with brown eyes, all, all you know, cute, and, um, you know, oohing and aahing at you, and, and drinking his milk. And, and of course, the visitor's going to be really excited and, and speak highly of this child, and, and you'll be enraptured by the beauty of this child. Um, but then in 10 years, if you bring the same person back, and he sees the child again, and there he is in his crib with his bottle. And there he is still in his diaper. And he can't walk and he can't talk. Of course something is wrong. We are called to spiritual maturity. We are called to pursue the Lord and to grow. It is he who grows us as we pursue him, as we recognize how much he loves us. And as one who has received love, we long to be in his presence and to know him more and to hide his word in our hearts, to study his word more deeply so that we might be able to teach others, we might know him more deeply. And the second thing here, the deficit in their lives, as the writer points out, is to be able to distinguish right from wrong. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love the imagery here. This word train refers to training that has happened in the past and has a current benefit. Uh, I played soccer in, in, um, well, all the way from herd ball, you know what that is, where there's a ball and everyone herds around it, when I was four, uh, all the way up to my 12th grade year. Now, I was never any good. It was not for one of practice or trying. I'm just not very good at it. Uh, but I enjoyed it and I loved it. Now here's the thing. I haven't played soccer on a team since then. But I had the training, the past training, that I can now kick the ball around in the backyard with Thomas. I've had training. I know how to play soccer. But the constant practice, the other word that is used here, is from the Greek word gym, uh, from which we get gymnasium or a gymnast. It is, it is constant, ongoing practice. So the training that has happened in years past and the ongoing, continual practice, the ongoing, continuing exercising of our souls is just like any muscle. If you don't use it, it will atrophy, shrink, and it will get less strong. It will get weaker. So too we find as we walk with the Lord, the more time we spend with the Lord, the more he strengthens the muscle of our faith and the more he gives us wisdom to discern right from wrong. These recipients were living in a difficult season, a difficult time. There was an exciting time that Christ had come, had been raised from the dead, had been ascended to heaven. But here's the thing. It was a time of persecution. It was a time in which if you converted from Judaism to Christianity, if you put your faith in the, in the one true God, in Christ, then your friends would ostracize you. What do you do when your wife doesn't become a Christian? What do you do when you need meat and the only meat in the, in the marketplace has been sacrificed to idols? There are lots of really hard questions to work through and I think we find our sa- ourselves in the same situation now. How do we have the discernment, the wisdom to deal with difficult issues of changing culture, 
of hard parenting questions, of health issues, and, and what do we do with those things? We, we know what to do, we have a better idea what to do, as we have, by training in the past, the daily plotting, and the constant practice of spending time with the Lord, he gives us the discernment and the wisdom to be able to navigate those difficult waters in life. So have we taken responsibility for our walk with the Lord uh, kids, um, you know, you start it with milk, and then Lizzie's eating puffs these days. That's pretty exciting. And one day she'll move on to crackers and then to meat. Um, but you know, she's beginning to feed herself. And we are called to pursue Jesus. So kids, I encourage you to pursue Jesus on your own. And those in elementary school, pursue Jesus on your own. I want to applaud the the middle schoolers who make it a priority. Get up early twice a week and go and pray around the pole up at the middle school. They are pursuing Jesus on their own. They're feeding themselves. In high school, in college, and and beyond. Don't rely on your parents. Don't rely even uh, on your preacher. Please don't do that. I see, what, twice, maybe three times a week. That's not enough. Just like we need daily sustenance of food, so spiritually we need daily sustenance in his word so that we too might be grown. Now we do this, it's a lifelong process. We see this in, uh, in a, this call to maturity in, in verse one of chapter six. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. He's not saying let's graduate from Jesus. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying get to know him better. Get to go know him in a ma- more mature way. It's a lifelong process. We don't spend, you know, um, like seminary. You know, seminary is three and a half, four years. It's not that I'd study three and a half, four years, and now I'm good. I don't have to study anymore, right? That's, that's not how it works. It was priming the pump for a lifelong um, study of God's word. And if I were to stop, then I would have to stop being your pastor because it is about spending daily time with the Lord. We do it in community. We do it in community. It's impossible to learn how to love one another if we're not, if we're not around other people. It's impossible to do the one anotherings of Scripture unless we're around others and primarily the community of grace, the community of Christ, the community of, of, of the church. Third, we do it through growing, through serving. You're never ready. Margaret Hawk and um, Rob Oates and Jim Baird and, and, and Ed Patterson and Montgomery and John Weiss, and these guys were never ready to serve. They were never ready to disciple me. And if you ever think you're ready, then you've already dis- disqualified yourself. We're never ready to serve. But you learn through serving. You grow through serving as you put to use the things that God has given you. But ultimately, we grow and we seek the Lord because God loves us. Not out of duty. Not so we can check off a list. Not so we can say that we've done X, Y, or Z. Because you know what? God loves us. And he has shown his love for us that he sent his son Jesus to die for us when we were sinners. And this is, the, this is the call to maturity. It's not, a, it's not a call to drudgery. It's a call to joy. When we first moved to Bruton, my neighbor across the street, Franklin Smith, I noticed this huge, uh, I don't know how big, 80-foot tall um, antenna. And, uh, and he, he routinely climbs this thing. If you know Franklin, you'll know why that's uh, surprising. Um, he's in his early 80s. Uh, but he, um, I, I got to ask him, what is this thing? 
And so he told me, and he started talking about amateur radios, and it sounded really cool. So I've got to do this thing. So he gives me, you know, the materials to study for the test. And it was pure drudgery. It was pure drudgery. I hated it. Transistors and resistors and uh, electrodes and all amps and watts. I have no clue what any of that means. It was all duty and there was no love in it. But you think about spending time with the Lord and pursuing the Lord and taking responsibility for our walk with the Lord. There's great joy in it. There's joy in the journey as one um, hymn writer put it. There's joy in the journey Because just like you married men know, it is a delight to go on date nights with your bride. And it is a delight to spend time with her. And as you spend time with her, you grow in your love for her and your relationship matures. And so it is with the Lord. We are his bride and he is the groom. And he pursues us and we pursue him and we love him because he first loved us and died for us on the cross. And therefore it is a joy, it is a joy to dig into his word. Now there are times it's hard, I'm not gonna lie, they're not. Just like there might be patches in a relationship, you have to work at it more than others. But ultimately we pursue the Lord because his love for us and in response, our love for him. It is the will of God, uh, verse three. And this we will do if God permits. Um, certainly it, is, it was the prayer of the writer of the Hebrews, this would be the will of God for the recipients. They would grow in the Lord. Ultimately know that it is the will of God. We learn this from Romans eight twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. To be conformed to the image of his son means become more and more like Jesus. And we do that as we come to know him through his word and through prayer and the sacraments, all in the community of God's people. So my charge to you this morning is, is to reevaluate where you are. It's easy to slide. It's easy, especially when you're going on vacation, to let things go. It's easy to enter into seasons of busyness and not pursue the Lord. I encourage you, take this time, take this time and seek the Lord afresh. Seek the Lord while he is near, for he will be found. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have pursued us, we who were unlovely, we who had nothing to offer you except our sin. Lord, give us the grace, stir us by your spirit, for we know that even the desire to be with you must come from you. So give us that grace, Lord, that we might walk with you deeper, Um, we might know you better for your glory and for our good. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer, we ask it. Amen.